welcome to episode 65 of the United Pubcast and despite reports that the Pubcast was going to be postponed due to the coronavirus, we are here fighting fit but it is behind closed doors, we're doing this one from the comfort of our own homes so we don't have to expose ourselves to each other. Larry, are you all safe and not contracted anything? No, mate. I'm all good. I'm happy to bump elbows or bump e-elbows with you over this podcast and looking forward to it. Well, did you see the stupidity of that during the week or during all the Premier League games? They walked, they did their usual lineup when they walked out of the tunnel and all walked past each other, not shaking hands, but then go on to go and play 90 minutes of sweating over each other and then shook hands after the game. Yeah, strange one, wasn't it? Um, but... <laughs> I get it in a way. You're kind of following protocol. It's like the students in class, right? You do what the teacher wants in front of the teachers. Once you leave and then you're in the playground, it's fair game. You can understand it, but it's just stupid when you think about it. Absolutely stupid. But we will get on to the podcast, and it's a special one. You've obviously read the title. We're going to do a combined 11 from the treble win inside in 98-99 and the 2007-2008 double win inside. So we're just going to go through each position and sort of argue who we want in the team and who misses out, etc. So it should be a good one. But before that, just before we're going live on recording, there is a little bit of, I wouldn't say breaking news, but a bit of a story regarding Paul Pogba that I think it's the Daily Mail claim that he's suddenly got a bit of a U-turn and looks like he might be happy to stay and commit his future to United. Yeah, well, it wouldn't be the most unbelievable thing, put it that way. Um Look, it's a report from one paper, the Daily Mail, which, you know, I'm not going to say they're as bad as the Sun, but again, I'm not going to say they're the most reliable either. It's not your mother, but, you know, I could potentially see it. If you put yourself in Pogba's shoes, I don't think there are many people in the market who could afford him, if I'm being entirely honest. I think Real Madrid, definitely an option. I think Juventus, definitely an option. Outside of that, I think PSG could afford him. Probably don't see it. There's not a lot of options for Pogba. United will definitely um, exercise their option for the extra year to keep his value high. So with all that being said, he's seeing Bruno Fernandes come in, seeing our fortunes increase. He's possibly thinking a partnership with him wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Maybe if he just sees the positive side, maybe if we can get ourselves into a Champions League push and get into that top four, it could be enough to convince him to stay. But I still think it's unlikely at this stage. Well, I think your point there on Bruno Fernandes is interesting. I've seen a bit of criticism saying, well, he should just be wanting to play for the club for the club's sake. He shouldn't just want when a good player arrives. Now he wants to play. So we criticised Pogba for that. But we all took Rooney's side when Rooney questioned the ambition of the club saying, well, you sold Ronaldo and you replaced him with Gabriel Obertan. So we sort of praised Wayne Rooney and agreed with his opinion there, but almost disagree with Paul Pogba here, which is... And look, Pogba and Rooney's situation is completely different, but um, I think the Bruno Fernandes deal could um, sort of influence Pogba's decision, rightly or wrongly. Yeah, so but you know, that's just football these days. Um, I certainly won't complain if he stays. And in fact, the prospect of a Pogba-Juventus, and if you could just get a really quality defensive midfielder behind them, Pogba I think that's and, a... You just said Pogba and Juventus. I think you meant Pogba and Bruno Fernandes. Oh, Pogba and Fernandes. <laughs> That's Mate, you've got to forgive me. It's 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 we're approaching midnight here, so <laughs> cut me some slack. But I think that prospect mm. um, is very exciting. But look, Pogba in a Juventus midfield wouldn't be horrible for him. <laughs> yeah, well, that is potentially going to happen. But um, as always with Pogba, a debate for another day. So we'll start to get into the combined eleven from the treble win inside of '99 and the double in '08. But before we get into it, and I think this is a pretty straightforward question, but one that. We might as well do because everyone sort of plays their little hypothetical games. Who wins, that treble winning side or the 08 side? I think it's the 08 side. And if I'm being entirely honest, I don't even think it's close. Um, Not to sound arrogant, but player for player, that 08 side was better. Um, Not just that, they had the flexibility to really change the formation. We saw 4-3-3, we saw 4-4-2. Um, we saw four two three one. There was just a great variety um, and adaptability in that team that I just don't think the uh, ninety nine squad had. And that's not a criticism. I think both are world class squads, but that 08 team was really something special for me. The best United team I've definitely seen in my lifetime. 
Yeah, well, I think, and again, none of this is at all a criticism in regards to the 99 side, but something that 08 side had, and it sounds very basic and very Sunday league type of a situation, but they were just so big, powerful, fast. They're just better athletes, and you're naturally going to be better athletes 10 years down the track in terms of the way training evolved in sports science, etc. But I think that was such a strength of that side. Like, you could just... They could play football, obviously great footballers, they could outwork you. They just every single player was a fine athlete, and um, look, the '99 team was a fantastic team. I'm sure a lot of their players will get into this combined eleven. Um, there's probably a case for all of them, but I think in a one-off game, if you're going to play a cup final, just the power of players like Rooney and Tevez, Ronaldo, etc., I think just would have a little bit too much for the '99 side. But it's all up for debate. So if you disagree, get on Twitter and please let us know. Now, before we get into it, we'll have to decide on a formation. Now, obviously, in 99, it was very strict. It was very it was 4-4-2 pretty much every week, regardless of the opposition. But in the 08 side, it's a lot more flexible and played different variations of sort of 4-4-2, 4-4-3, and that's pretty much 4-5-1, really. So I think we'll decide on a 4-4-2. The reason being is in the 08 final, I think we pretty much did line up with a... 4-4-2 sort of system was sort of Hargreaves on the right, Ronaldo on the left, and sort of Rooney and Tevez. While they were players who did sort of go all over the shop, they sort of on the team sheet were sort of listed as the two strikers. And, um, well, everyone can sort of rattle off the names in the 99 squad. So I think to keep it nice and basic, sort of old school English football, we'll stick to 4-4-F and 2, as they say. Happy with that? Yeah, yeah, um, I'd agree with that. Now, when we're going through this, we're going to list pretty much through sort of the start, not so much the starting side, because, you, again, you look in the 99 Champions League final, you had Jesse Blomquist and Nicky Butt start, etc. Roy Keane and Paul Scholes didn't feature, and obviously Roy Keane and Scholes are going to be heavily featured in the debate. So we're going to sort of go through the lineups of both starting finals, etc., but also take into context, take into context who played sort of majority of the season, etc. So I'm sure players like Nicky Button, maybe a Darren Fletcher or a Jisung Park, etc. will come up in the discussion. But I don't think, obviously... I think when everyone's looking at these, you sort of know eight or nine players are going to be in, but I'm sure we might disagree on one or two. Actually, probably a bit more than now that I think about it, especially with the age gap, but we will see. But we might as well start between the sticks. Um, obviously, the treble winning side had Peter Schmeichel and the 07-08 side, big Edwin van der Sar. So I'll let you state your case first, who you think, and then I will follow. I think van der Sar is... But when you get in that argument with a United fan of De Gea, Schmeichel um, and van der Sar, van der Sar seems to be the least favoured for me. Um, and maybe, I think it's just the, his style. It, it doesn't doesn't have a dominant style, maybe a more softer-spoken character. He was just a more well-rounded goalkeeper than the other two, uh, in my opinion. I think um, van der Sar, in fact, would probably fit United perfectly right now. Um, yeah. But in saying that, um, I think it has to be Schmeichel. If you're just looking purely from just making himself massive, I think that was the biggest praise you can give Schmeichel. And that's what resonates with you when you think of his name. Just had a way of making the net seem so far away because he just had just knew he got down low made himself big knew when to come out just a wonderful shot stopper so for me it's Schmeichel yeah I think and as you say you can hardly when we're saying this we're not criticizing Edwin van der Sar at all but I think just what you said there in regards to Schmeichel's sort of his presence I think look you look at Edwin van der Sar Edwin van der Sar is massive I'm assuming off the top of my head probably taller than Peter Schmeichel so his presence is there as well but there was something about the way Peter Schmeichel used his presence. And I don't want to say presence is the only attribute of a good goalkeeper, because obviously not. But there was something about the way he displayed that presence and strikers almost had the ball at their feet thinking, geez, this isn't going to go in, he's just going to stop it. Because he just, as you said, just filled up the goal completely. So to take absolutely nothing away from van der Sar, I'd say he's almost the complete goalkeeper. There's just something, and I don't know what it is. Is it the blonde hair? Is it the shouting, etc.? I'm not sure. But just something about Peter Schmeichel where you can't say no to him. So I think Peter Schmeichel goes number one between the sticks. Both happy with that? Yep. Got to agree with that one. 
Now, into our back four, we'll play a flat back four, on to right back. Now, it was obviously in 1999, Gary Neville was the right back, and in 08, there is a case for making an 08 version of Gary Neville, but if you look at the majority of the season, even in the, especially in the final with the assist, in 08 was Wes Brown. So I think this is a straight shootout between the two. I think it maybe looks straightforward, but do you want to put a case for Wes Brown? Um, I don't want to make a case for him. Um, not to sound too critical, but for me, I just think what what Neville was, um, particularly in that early stage of his career, just so tenacious, high energy, good pace. Like he just he wore his heart on his sleeve. I just, for me, Neville's the the epitome of what we as a fan love. Um, I don't want to compare them in terms of their career or the longevity that he may have. But if I look at our modern team, McTominay resonates a lot of what, or resonates a lot of the characteristics that Neville had. But Neville's probably a better footballer. Um, so for me, just Neville, just because if I think about the work rate he had, and you know what, he was underrated. He did have the ability to cross the ball. Granted, it wasn't as natural to him, but just for his pure energy alone, and obviously being a United fan um, in the team, uh, it has to be Neville for me. But Wes Brown was class. He's, by all means, um, he, he was in the Champions League final. Not a bad player, but you're, to, you're choosing between uh, two kinds of gold here, you know, so well, there Neville was for me. Obviously a case with Wes Brown as well. I remember he did play a couple of Champions League games in that 99 season as a youth player. Um, he obviously came up right back a few times. I remember in the, I think he played when we beat Bronby 6-2 in the group stage. I remember Wes Brown played that match. So obviously we're not picking the 99 Wes Brown in this. It's it's uh, 99 Neville and the 08 Wes Brown. But I think the reason I'd go for Neville, pretty much everything you said there, and absolutely nothing against Wes Brown. However, Wes Brown was playing out of position because Gary Neville was injured in 2008. Exactly. So, look, as fantastic as Wes Brown did that, and you only have to look to the assist in the Champions League final, and we're not having this debate if we don't win that Champions League. So you have to give credit to Wes Brown, and he was fantastic that season. And he almost he did definitely made right back his own, and deservedly so. But it always was the case you knew deep down while well, he's filling in. He's really a centre-back and he's just doing a job where Gary Neville was fantastic. He was the best right-back there. And, and you look at some of the wingers he would have had to come up against in that late 90s, especially in, in games like Juventus and Bayern Munich, Inter Milan, etc. So I think it would be hard to argue against Gary Neville. So definitely happy to include him over Wes Brown. Can't now, disagree with you, mate. Maybe all the way to, to where we got in the centre of defence. So I've got Gary Neville at right back. In 99, this one should be straightforward. We'll see how it goes. But in 99, we had Ronnie Johnson. And obviously in 2008, we'll pair him up with Rio Ferdinand. So we'll take your pick between Ronnie Johnson and Rio. I think Ronnie Johnson was a really fine footballer. Um, from what I've seen, granted it is limited. Um, really good with the ball. But for me, Rio's the most complete defender I've ever seen. Um, he could just... He was sort of... If you look at it from outside the United fan, Rio was renowned for his bulwark. But for me, complete defender. I just read the game well. He had pace. He had tenacity. Could read the game. You know, he just read the game well. Um, excellent partnership with Vidic, which, you know, of course we'll get to. But yeah, for me, it's not even close. Uh, Ferdinand for me all day long. Yeah, look, I won't argue at all. Rio Ferdinand walks into the team for me. But just on Jonsson, that's why we sort of paired those defenders up. We've got Stam and Vidic as a pair. Pick one of them and Jonsson and Rio. And I think the thing that's so similar, Jonsson actually sort of had that ability to play in midfield a little bit. And I remember at the supporters club um, function we had with David May last year, um, David May was talking about it. And with Roy Keane obviously missing the... Well, Roy Keane and Paul Scholes both missing the Champions League final in 99 he was under the impression or, or sort of the hope that Ferguson was going to play Ronnie Johnson in midfield and that would allow David May to start the Champions League final. And he had, he probably had a sort of inclination that that was going to happen with sort of previous selections throughout the season. So I remember David May saying he was really disappointed because he thought he was going to be involved in the game. Obviously, he's got the extremely famous photo um, where he sort of photobombed the lift in the trophy. But yeah, I think very similar players, but... Yeah, Rio Ferdinand goes down as one of our best ever defenders. And, and as great as Ronnie Johnson was, and he goes down as a United great, some maybe United legend if you win the Champions League, but 
yeah, I don't think in the same bracket as Rio Ferdinand. So Rio takes his place. Now his partner. This is going to be hard because almost like the strikers, you almost you want to pair strikers up with Cole and York. And you try and do that with centre-backs as well. You obviously had Bruce and Pallister, Rio and Vidic. But there is a certain Dutchman who is definitely in the argument. So we're going to take our pick between 99 Stam and the 08 Vidic. This is going to be a tough one. So I'll let you take the floor. I think both are excellent footballers. Um, again, like, look, I, I grew up with Vidic. Um, I think both of them would run through a brick wall for you. I don't think you come up. I don't think there's a bad choice here. Um, for me, it has to be Vidic. Um, but again, I, because to your point, you're talking about partnerships. Rio and Vidic is the partnership that has oversaw United's most successful period um, in terms of trophies and success and so forth. Um, Vidic, for me, was a perfect complement to what Rio did. Uh, Rio, while could be aggressive, Vidic was the natural aggressor. Um, granted, he had a few mad moments, but... Um, he could just put his head through a brick wall. Um, look, I think Yapstam had that about him. It was in the Munich. Um, the play, remind me, Tom. Correct my correct my wording. It was there was some sort of Munich tribute um, or like the a celebration yeah, of the um, 60th anniversary. If I'm not wrong. No, no. It was last year. It was the 20 years since the treble. 20 years since the treble. Okay. Yeah, they played sorry, the Bayern Munich team. Yeah, sorry. So in that game, uh, Yapstam again. He looks like he could line up in the current United side. Um, but look, like I said, both great options for me. It's Vidic. Well, this is where we're going to butt heads a little bit because look, I can't argue with Vidic. I, fantastic, especially that night in Moscow. If we're talking about Champions League finals, that's one of the best performances I've seen from a centre back. Sort of what he did to Drogba, event, eventually getting Drogba sent off pretty much. Um, I thought he's man of the match in that Champions League final. And I absolutely love the guy in terms of just everything he put on the line. Um, it was just one of those ones you're always proud to see him out there and cannot fault the guy at all, unless he was obviously playing against Fernando Torres. Then um, he turned into a prime Phil Jones. <laughs> but I will probably lean towards Yap Stam. Just, look, Stam's longevity wasn't there, but if we're talking sort of about seasons, Stam came in that season and you look at some of the strikers he would have been up against, especially in that Champions League run. You look at the Juventus team, like Inzaghi, I remember... He had the original Ronaldo in Inter Milan and Zamorano at Inter Milan. And I just think he's so similar to Vidic, but I think maybe a little bit of a better footballer. And I think one of the reasons it always sticks out why Stam maybe doesn't get remembered as fondly. Obviously, we all do remember him fondly, but maybe not in the same bracket as Vidic. Is you look at Vidic stayed to the end of Ferguson's reign and beyond. He ended up playing under David Moyes. But if you look back at Ferguson, always says he's one of his biggest regrets ever is letting Yapstam go or selling him whichever way you want to look at it. And I just think that shows how good, yeah, and taking nothing away from Vidic at all, but it just shows how good Yapstam is that if Ferguson sees that as one of his biggest ever regrets. And I just look at the achievement of that season in 99, it's, it's just sort of unmatched, unrivaled. We're so glad Liverpool haven't done it this year. Yep, Stan was such a key part of that. And that takes, again, nothing away from Vidic and his involvement in that 08 side. But I just think something... And Rio Ferdinand and Vidic are a great partnership. But I just think, as I just mentioned there, Fernando Torres, Vidic did have an error or two in him. So Rio Ferdinand did compliment him well. But I just think Yep, Stan was a very similar defender, but just maybe a touch more consistent and probably wouldn't make as many sort of... I wouldn't say howlers, but... um just those sort of crucial mistakes at crucial times where Vidic was somewhat susceptible to. So I think I would have to go Yap Stam on that one. Tom, if you're a car salesman, you'd have me flying out of the dealership, mate. Um, great argument. And um, I think I'll accept this one. Yap Stam goes in. Okay, Yap Stam. And again, Nemanja Vidic, if you're listening to this, please don't come for me. Um, I do love you. But, okay, there's our centre-back partnership. Now, another one which might cause a little bit of discussion. In 99 at left-back, we obviously had Dennis Irwin. And in 08, we had Uncle Patrice Evra. Again, mate, take the floor, and we'll see where we end up with this one. Patrice Evra epitomises everything a United fan loves. Someone who bought into the club, and just even now you see the way he speaks about the place, and you hear how he holds players to a high standard in training um, when he's doing his coaches' badges and so forth. I love Patrice Evra. I thought it was a major part of that successful period that I was alluding to earlier. 
But for me, Dennis Irwin was probably the better footballer. I think Dennis Irwin was a, probably a better defender. Um, I think going forward, not too different um, in terms of what both brought to a team. Just Dennis Irwin could do free kicks, um, left-footed, right-footed. Uh, for me, just a, just a little bit more, just offered a little bit more for me. So just on that point, I think, again, you're choosing between two great options. You can't go wrong, but... I think the – and look, I love a bit of Irish potato. I'm not going to lie. Um, I do enjoy a Guinness. I enjoy my potato three-way, mate. Uh, for me, it's Dennis Irwin. Well, this is one where before the podcast, I was thinking, okay, left back would probably go different ways. However, as much as I love Dennis Irwin, I'm going to argue his case in a little bit, I would probably opt for Patrice Evra. And I just think, again, in the way I started the podcast in talking about the – attributes that 07-08 side had in terms of their pace and their power. I just think what he brought and the balance, if you look at Dennis Irwin, it's almost, I wouldn't say it's definitely not a problem, but the same issues we kind of face when Brandon Williams plays at left-back currently, where he's right-footed and he cuts in. And obviously it wasn't a sort of, Dennis Irwin wasn't a detriment to the team at all, nor is Brandon Williams, but it does change the way you play. And obviously he did have a very easy at ball with his right foot. He could just sort of swing it around the corner to Ryan Giggs. But I just think the balance Patrice ever brought to that 08 side and his athleticism. He was, for 90 minutes, he, he almost played as a left winger because obviously we dominated a lot, a lot of the games back then. He was up and down that pitch. Obviously, defense, I think defensively he was very good. But going forward, he was just another attacker. We weren't playing with four defenders. We were almost just playing with three. Wes Brown would tuck in and would play with three centre-backs and ever would sort of double up with Ronaldo or Giggs who, who whoever was playing on the left. And as much as I love Dennis Irwin, I'm not sure if we could ever call him the best left back in the world at the time. But in that 08 season, I think Patrice Evra, correct me, maybe Ashley Cole is a bit of an argument for him, but I would say Patrice Evra was the best left back in the world. And again, that's not a criticism of Dennis Irwin. absolutely love the guy. But if I was having a case, I would probably say Patrice Evra. But we're potentially split on this one because I could argue Dennis Irwin as well. I don't disagree in terms of, you know, you saying Patrice, if not the best left back in the world, definitely in the top two or three. But Dennis Irwin, in my opinion, had much better left backs to compete with for that title. Roberto Carlos, uh, Maldini, I believe at the time, was probably still a left back. Yeah. You're talking about the... And now these guys aren't just, weren't just great fullbacks in their time. These are like one of the renowned footballers that people talk about to this day. I think for the competition that Dennis Owen had to compete with, and to your point, yes, a right footer playing on the left. I never at any time watching Dennis Owen felt, ah, he's hindering the attack because of that. It all felt very smooth. And just for that, that's why for me, it's Dennis Owen. I think he's just a more complete footballer just because, yes, Patrice didn't need to defend. But when Irwin, if Owen needed to defend, he was definitely more than capable. And that's not to say ever I wasn't. But I just think defending came more natural to Owen. For me, a more complete footballer. So I'm still leaning towards Owen, but I'll let you make the deciding factor. Have I made a believer out of you, Tom? Yeah, no, well, I think you've pulled on the Irish heartstrings a little bit. And yeah, look, I took you up, Stan, but look, it's hard to argue with Owen. And especially just just the little things you mentioned there. I think one thing we both glossed over a little bit, and it's hard because they're completely different, different personalities in terms of Patrice Everett and Dennis Owen. But almost, while completely different, both exactly what you want from a professional, sort of on and off the pitch, obviously go about it different ways, but both have deep down the same sort of belief, if you know what I mean. Yeah, represent the same, uh, have the same values towards the yeah. club, the same ethos, high standards. Yeah, I get all that. But very, but very different ways of showing it. Um, very different yeah. characters. Yeah, but, one uh, more serious, um, <laughs> I think, is the, is the nice way to put it. Yeah. Okay, so our back four, or slash five, with um, Big Pete Schmeichel in goals, Gary Neville at right back, Rio and Stam in the middle, with Dennis Irwin at left back. So we'll move into our flat four on in midfield. And again, these aren't going to get any easier, because at right midfield, we're going to have a bit of a battle between David Beckham and Cristiano Ronaldo. So I'm not sure how this one is going to go. Let's see. Well... In my opinion, Beckham deserved to win the Ballon d'Or in 99. If you just look at what he did, um, all the deciding factors, all the big games, it all came from a Beckham pass or a Beckham cross. You know how the famous commentary is, and Solskjaer has won it? Do you know who crossed the ball? Yeah. 
It was well, David he, Beckham. He crossed for both corners. Well, exactly. He did. Um, in the lead-up to Keane's goal against Juventus, I'm certain that was a Beckham cross. Well, he scored the goal um, against Tottenham to get us back into the game um, on the final day of the Premier League. Beckham was such an underrated footballer. It's almost a shame that his status got pushed so high in terms of celebrity status that people forgot what a good footballer he was, which is a shame, really. But for me, it has to be... Re- um, now, I've just spent a good minute telling you how great David Beckham is. And that's because I'm going to tell you that Cristiano Ronaldo goes into the side ahead of him. Um, now, for me, while, while Beckham did deserve to win the Ballon d'Or, Ronaldo won the Ballon d'Or. He scored 42 goals, and that was predominantly from the wing. This was the year that Ronaldo really blossomed in terms of to see that monster that we then saw at Real Madrid. Um, and to be honest, he's still sco- uh, showing those scoring plaudits today for Juventus. Ronaldo is the most complete footballer I've seen. In my opinion, the best United player in, in, in my lifetime. Yeah, I, I think that's the thing. Look, I could do a whole podcast on David Beckham. Absolutely idolise the guy. I still do. Oh God, we all follow his Instagram. The guy can rock any type of suit. Unbelievable. But something about Ronaldo, just as great as Beckham was, I'd say he was maybe technically second best to Rivaldo that season where Ronaldo was just... Unplayable, undeniable, clearly the best in the world, even up against Messi at the time. Where okay, Messi was quite young, but Ronaldo was still a young player at the time, still. And I think just think, yeah, Beckham, fantastic, but Ronaldo's, yeah. If I'm going to say who's the best player I've seen at United, there is a case for that being Ronaldo. So, I think the goals he brought to it, and obviously Beckham did bring goals and assists, are just as important as goals. But 42 goals in a double winning season is um. It, it doesn't happen without him. And obviously the treble winning season doesn't happen without sort of Beckham's contribution. But Ronaldo just had everything. And um, yeah, I cannot see how he can do this team and not include potentially the best player we've ever had at the club. No arguments from me, mate. Now one that... So sorry, Beckham, I love you, but you can definitely be first off the bench. But... One that I don't know will cause a bit of debate. I'm not sure. We've got Roy Keane. Obviously, didn't play in the Champions League final, but obviously, obviously the captain played a sort of pivotal role in our success that season. So, '99 Roy Keane or the 2008 Michael Carrick. Now, I know you're a little bit of a Carrick fan, so do you want to make a bit of a case for him? A bit of a case, mate. I'll. I've got his book. I'm holding <laughs> it close to my heart, and I'm gonna say this with a passion plea to you. Michael Carrick deserves to be in this team over Roy Keane. In my opinion, if you're looking at the full footballer package, I actually think Roy Keane's better. Technical ability, I think Carrick has him covered. But I think of what a man brought to a football team, it's probably Keane. But to the point I made earlier when I was arguing for Vidic, Carrick was the midfielder, the glue that kept everything together in a team that was full of flamboyance and attack and you know, breathtaking football. There had to be a calming influence, someone who was willing to almost take a lesser role in the team. I think Carrick actually could have brought more with the ball than he did. I think he took a lesser role for your Skulls, your Giggs, Ronaldo's, Rooney's, Tevez to get forward, to do what they did. And to me, that's the ultimate professional. I think without Carrick, you don't allow, you, you can't accommodate all those players. And I, I'm sure you could with Keane. But for me, Carrick was just the perfect calming influence, the perfect balance of what this squad needed. Because of that successful period for me, I just have Carrick, Pippin, King. Well, yeah, well, absolutely. I don't have Carrick's book on me. Actually, I've got it somewhere, I think. But yeah, hard to argue with anything you've brought to the table with Michael Carrick, but the correct answer is Roy Keane. And I don't know where to start, but we do not have the success. And we've made cases on in terms of a player's longevity or do we stick it to this season, etc., but we don't have that success without Roy Keane, and we don't have that success in the treble winning season or overall from when he joined the club in 1993 to, let's say, 2003-2004, the last title that he won. And as I said, Carrick, probably in terms of ability on the ball, in terms especially his passing range, not that Roy Keane had a bad passing range, but Michael Carrick's role in that deep-line playmaking position was probably stronger, had great vision, great technical ability, but that is one component of being a great footballer. And obviously Carrick had far more components than that, but that is the one that really springs to mind. But the one that springs to mind with Roy Keane is what? 
because he had everything. Like maybe to the on the to the naked eye, it is maybe his sort of enforcer role, his powerful approach. And some people who are sort of a bit naive might think of an over physical approach, sort of a thug like sort of approach to the game. But that's lazy because he was far more than that. Yes, he did go out and kick people and go out to hurt people. But he was one of the best midfielders of that time, especially of that generation, because you look at some of the midfields he dominated and the games he dominated. You just have to look and people might get sick of talking about it. But that game in Turin against Juventus, okay, forget that he's gone on a yellow card and he's not playing the final. Fantastic. That's a different story. You just look at the quality of footballer against the other players on the pitch. You're looking at Zinedine Zidane, Edgar Davids, Didier Deschamps, etc. Roy Keane was the best player on that pitch. If Roy, if sorry, if Michael Carrick goes on all pitch with Zidane, is Michael Carrick going to be the best player on the pitch? Probably, and I do not want to make that sound like a criticism of Michael Carrick because, of course, not. And of course, Zidane is a better player than Roy Keane, but I just think Roy Keane had just that ability about him, and it's such a key ability to be able to go and be the best player or be the most important player, the most influential player. And obviously, Michael Carrick went about being influential in a different manner. But I just think there is something away the way Roy Keane used to drive teams forward. Um, and I think, as we mentioned with David Beckham, I think the perception people have of him, David Beckham had this celebrity status sort of perception of him where Roy Keane had this sort of thuggish perception. But I think it takes away from what an actual great footballer he was. So I think the correct answer is Roy Keane. But look, Michael Carrick, you could definitely make a case depending on the way you want to play football. Look, I take your point. Um, and you made the best point you've probably made there is maybe you don't have the treble winning season without Keno. The compliment I can give Keen where, look, even if Carrick was capable, um, and look, I've been reading his book lately. Maybe that's given me a bit of an unconscious bias. Mm. But uh, Carrick did mention that he felt he took a lesser role within the current United team to complement you know, the players around him. But what Keane did do was he grabbed games by the scruff of the neck. And that was just by that Juventus game. You know, he's heading the ball in. Like the most dominant display you could possibly see from a midfielder, given the level of game it was as well, the pressure that comes with going into a Champions League final. Carrick was the glue, but was Carrick ever the dominant figure in a game? Probably not until that 12-13 season. Yeah. So I take your point. Let's, let, let's get Keno in there. Yeah, good. I don't want to start any right, so we'll move on because I would have fired that one to the death. Okay, so Roy Keane slots in there. Now, his midfield partner is definitely going to have ginger hair. We just don't know what grade of ginger hair. Is it 99 skulls or 2008 skulls? This is probably an easy one. Um, I think it's 99 skulls. We've mentioned on the... We did a Paul Skulls podcast um, a number of months back, and what we said is... Well, at least from my point of view, the thing that highlights for me when you think about Keener, pinging the ball around. Now, that's just because of what I've grown up with because that was the Paul Scholes I've seen throughout my teenage years. But when you go back and watch what Scholes was in 99, pushing forward, scoring goals, a constant threat in the final third, assisting goals, Scholes ended up with 159-ish goals. Correct me if I'm wrong. He's definitely in that region. Mm. majority of that was in that 90s to early 2000s period. Paul Scholes was a really wonderful footballer. And if you're having Roy Keane in this team to destroy any flames or put any flames out, that's because Paul Scholes is going forward. And that's the best Paul Scholes for me. So I think it's 99 Scholes all the way. Yeah, I think a case with the the 08 Scholes, you almost draw a comparison. He almost played quite a similar role maybe a few years later, but maybe started to sort of show signs of this in 2008, a very similar style to Michael Carrick. So you could almost have those as two of pick or choose which one. And I just think in mm. this team, you got Roy Keane. And, and I don't want to be lazy and say he was a defensive midfielder because he was far from it. But in this case, it would be one sitting a little bit when the other goes forward. So that 99 skulls had that ability to get in the box, especially in the old-fashioned 4 4 Sort of one one midfielder always had to sit where now a lot of midfielders these days have a lot of protection because you can go forward knowing that you potentially have two bodies behind you. Where they're in a two-man midfield back then, one definitely did have to stay, which was Roy, obviously Roy Keane had the ability to 
burst forward. But more often than not, he was the one that used to sit a little bit and that 99 goals did get in the box to score so many goals, um, especially important goals um, in that 99 season. But although in saying that, you look at the 08 goal against Barcelona, um, we're not sitting here having this podcast if he doesn't fly that into the top corner. But I probably do agree with you that um, the younger version of Paul Scholes, a um, little bit more energetic, probably gets into the team next to Roy Keane. So I think we'll both agree there. Now, a very similar debate, I think, here, because we're going to go for the long locks Ryan Giggs in 1999 and the hairy chest. And I'm not sure if he shaved his chest by 2008, but the 2008 Ryan Giggs, which one are we going for? It's 99 gigs all day long. Um, 2007, eight gigs played a lot in midfield. That was the gigs who used his brain more than his physical attributes. Still had a good turn of pace, by the way, till the day he retired. Gigs maintained yeah. good pace, so I'll always credit him for that. Really took care of himself, good diet, did a lot of yoga and so forth. But 99 gigs was explosive. People used the analogy especially with Eden Hazard people say he's the best winger that or best player that the Premier League seen but he didn't really have a lot of stats to back it up I use a similar case with Giggs in 99 simply because he probably didn't have the stats in terms of assists or goals to back up what he did but he was so dangerous with the ball um and then like to your point like it, it's famous um the goal he scored um in the FA Cup the shirt coming off the carpet on the chest um, I don't think you see that in 2020. Everyone's got a nice waxed, um, nice wax pecs these days. But um, look, Giggs in '99 was unplayable. Just the pace he had, he was electric. People look at Dan James, picture Dan James, but with better ball control. That was Ryan Giggs. Yeah, I, I think especially the way this team's going to play, and I think people at some point sometimes sort of take away from Ryan Giggs's sort of contribution that season and say, I think he only scored four goals. But I think if you look at that, I think it was four league goals. I think he scored a few more in the Cups and in European competition. But, um, yeah, just the way he played, just in that formation on a left wing. And the, maybe there's a case maybe playing Ronaldo on the left and you could maybe get Beckham on the right, etc. You could play around with it a little bit. But I think any Man United sort of four four two formation you have to have a Ryan Giggs in there, an old-fashioned left winger. And, um, yeah, I think that image, just the way going down the left wing against Arsenal, obviously not in the Champions League final, but that goal where he just dribbled past everyone on the left-hand side um, and scored in extra time against Arsenal, it was just sort of textbook. It was exactly what you want from a left winger. And, um, yeah, the 08 Giggs was... It wasn't a. It wasn't the same Ryan Giggs, obviously, as you mentioned, a very different player. Sort of went about the game a different way, which is not a criticism. He sort of had to change his game, but in terms of the way this team's going to play, I think yeah, no real arguments that it's hairy chested ninety nine Giggs. Now onto the front two, which will be interesting because we've talked about partnerships and obviously the most famous partnership of all in terms of Andy Cole and Dwight York. I think we won't do it sort of individual. We won't do okay. Rooney and York and Tevez and Cole, etc. I think we'll just debate all four at once. Now, obviously, there's players like Teddy Sheridan and obviously Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, who we definitely love, but I don't think we're going to throw them in this team. Solskjaer is definitely on the bench with David Beckham. So I think we'll just debate these four just sort of all together, but are we going to take into consideration York and Cole's partnership or are you just going to do it individually? Um... Look, I think the purpose of this is just putting the best combined team together. But in saying that, as part of our arguments, we're talking about partnerships. So it's whatever we feel like, Tom. Um, for me, regardless of partnerships, I think as good as York and Cole were, I think whoever we choose to go alongside him, Wayne Rooney has to be in this team. Um, for me, out of the four, the most talented, the most tenacious, um, got the best goal-scoring record. Um, that says enough for itself. Rooney was willing to sacrifice himself for the betterment of the team. And that's something I don't think he gets enough credit for. Yes, maybe when you look at his entire United career, goals for games could have been better. But for me, that's because he played a lot of games on the wing. And, and of course, in midfield towards the end. But that just showed he was willing to put the team first ahead of himself. If he was a selfish player and played striker or off the striker for all of his time at United... I think his goal record would be well and beyond, possibly closer to the 300 mark. 
the most complete footballer, the work rate. He could drop into midfield if needed with Keane and Scholes if we wanted him to. He could just do everything, the most complete footballer. So for me, you can choose whoever you want to be his partner, but there's no way I'm leaving me out of this. Yeah, well, I think a little bit like Ronaldo when we're just saying does it, they just have to be in there. And if you look at Rooney, and it's obviously there's more to football than goals. But at the end of the day, goals count, and he's our leading top goal scorer of all time. So you almost have to have him in any team just for the sheer numbers. And in terms of everything he mentioned, everything he brought, he, he was hardly a striker, so it's hard to put him in this front too. But he just can't take away those goals and everything that he brought in terms of he played on the left when he needed to, he would harry from the front, he would press defenders, he would tackle, he, he's a leader, which this team definitely isn't short of, but something that definitely adds to it. And just his progression, he would doesn't in that, in that Champions League run, I remember he did play a lot of it on the left, but then he would, when we defended, he'd sort of get in the faces of the centre backs up top, and he was just—I wouldn't say first name on the team sheet, but he's pretty much the most important player because the team just doesn't have that energy, and this team doesn't need energy. We've definitely got plenty of it, but I just think the energy he brought was sort of—you can't put a price on. So I think Rooney definitely goes in. You mentioned tenacious; that he was the most tenacious out of the four. There may be a case for Tevez, but I don't know Tevez can. Do we want to touch on Tevez or we can just put him in the bin? Um, look, I know this might be a little controversial, maybe a little mean, but you know the human evolution chart, Tom? Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, he's, uh, do you what, know, is, is he the third or fourth image? Um, look, <laughs> I don't know what, what the layer is between Neanderthal and human, but whatever goes in between them, I think Tevez goes yeah, pretty he's, close. He's somewhere on the graph, I think. Um, and mind you, I would, give, I would have given him full mercy. I wouldn't dare say something like that if he didn't have the rest in peace Fergie sign, so let's call it even. Yeah, okay, so Tevez in the bin. Now, the hard one, we've obviously split the partnership up. We've got um, Rooney in there. Now it'll be hard one between Dwight York and Andy Cole. So it's hard when you look at those two individually because you always sort of mention them as a pair. Yeah, I, it's a tricky one. I think... I think what Rooney brought to the team, well, what Rooney will bring to this team, York has a lot of those uh, similar qualities in terms of probably more of the workhorse of the strikers, whereas Andy Cole, a more natural striker. Um, so if we're looking at it from that perspective, I think, and I'm telling you, I'm, I think if you had a prime Rooney and a prime Cole together, I think that would have been an excellent partnership. Um, so for me, just fantasy booking, I'm putting, I'm putting Cole there. Yeah, I think the reason I would agree with you there, and again, I've said this pretty much every position, I think, definitely not a criticism of Dwight York, but why I would probably opt for Cole is I think, and Rooney and York, very, very sort of different players, but I think in this team, they'd maybe take up the same positions on the field. They'll occupy that space very differently, but I think they'll both be in that space on the pitch where Andy Cole is what you get on. He's just centre forward in the box, scoring goals. And obviously, Dwight York had that quality, but I just think he was one player who could come in and link play a little bit, but I would think Rooney would probably do that a little bit more um, to a little bit of a higher standard and add a little bit more. But I think Andy Cole would just be that focal point where there's got to be no shortage of deliveries into the box in this team with Ronaldo and Ryan Giggs and obviously Paul Scholes and Rooney creating, etc. So I think having that absolute sort of centre-forward and focal point I'd probably opt for Andy Cole. No disagreements from me. Okay, so that is our 1 to 11. We won't go through the bench because that'll take another seven hours. But obviously hey, who's of, the manager? Um, well, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer can be player, coach. He can sub himself on in the 90th minute. Love it. Love it. So we'll go through the 1 to 11 for those keeping score at home. We got obviously Schmeichel in goals and the back four of Gary Neville, Rio Ferdinand, Yapstam and Dennis Irwin. And then across midfield, obviously Cristiano Ronaldo on the right, Roy Keane and Paul the 99 Paul Scholes in the middle with 1999 Ryan Giggs on the left and Wayne Rooney and Andy Cole up top. I don't think that team's going to lose many. Obviously, Roy Keane, we both agree, would be captain. I think it would be harsh not to give it to him. I went from arguing to getting Carrick in here to giving Keane the armband. <laughs> no disagreements here, mate. Yeah, but uh, you look at the team, I'm just reading it out now, looking at it on paper, and the only There's player... 10 captains in there. Yeah, I think... Honestly. Th- you could make a case for anyone. Like 
maybe Giggs. Oh, but Giggs was a captain. Skulls probably the only player who didn't. Sorry, Skulls and your Skulls and Cole. Sorry, probably the only players that didn't sort of have. I wouldn't say a consistent run of captaincy, but sort of it would really stand out if they were wearing the captain's armband. But every other player is a true leader, and I think all eleven players are. But in terms of what we sort of visualise as a true leader, I think that team is absolutely full of them. And I think regardless of the ability, obviously the ability is why they're in there. But that off the field, that perception, that leadership quality is why the team would be so strong. I agree with you 100%. Um, look, there's, there's no bad candidate for captain, but yeah, it has to be Keener. Now, before we move on, so that was fun doing that, getting some a little bit nostalgic, but before we move on to Facebook comments, just one little fun thing to finish up on. Who out of the current side do you think, so the current 19-20 side, if you had to replace one of those players in the 11, who in this current side would you replace them with? Ooh, this is a hard one. I could make a case. I don't say I'd do it, but I could make a case for putting Rashford in place of Giggs. If you just look at what Rashford's done this season in terms of goals, you look at the pace Rashford has, I don't think he brings too much dissimilar. Look, he's a more. Tra- I think Giggs is a more traditional winger. If you're looking at the balance of the side, it's probably better because Ronaldo is going to be cutting inside, scoring goals for you. But you could make an argument just for fantasy booking's sake to say maybe Rashford, maybe he offers just a little bit more. Probably offers a bit of a goal threat, even from a wide position, especially I think a right footer on the left-hand side naturally does offer a little bit more of a goal threat, where Giggs' contribution there is, I don't want to be lazy, but his contribution is mainly going to be assists from that position. Yeah. Now, but for me, I think, I'm just looking at it on paper, and I think it would be a weird one. I don't think many would, it would stand out for many, but I think I would drop Gary Neville and put Wan-Bissaka in just for his defensive qualities because I don't think he needs to get forward with Ronaldo in front of him. Uh, Rooney dropping wide, you've got Ryan Giggs potentially switching over as well. I don't think he'd ha- even have to cross the halfway line. I think he would just have to sort of do what he does and just defend. So I think it would be weird to throw that name in there. Um, it's obviously his first season at the club, but I think he'd have it's a It's a valid argument, over, though. He'd have I, a I shout like... over Gary Neville defensively. I like your thought process behind it. So, oh, thank you. Thank you for the compliment. Now, on to our listeners' Facebook comments, Facebook and Twitter comments. Just put on Facebook, who would you sort of, what's your one maybe controversial opinion in terms of a tight position? Who would you opt for over a certain player? And Jake on Facebook said, in regards to picking Wayne Rooney over Andy Cole and Dwight York, he said, hard to say when Cole and York were such an effective partnership, but as far as indiv- individual effect on a team goes, a prime Wayne Rooney could almost improve any team ever, in my opinion. I think we both agree there. I think it's, it's just hard not to have Wayne Rooney in there, just in terms of everything that he brought. And George also said, Everett is making his start in 11 over Dennis Irwin at left back. He's the best left back in the Premier League era for me. Which is, yeah, we both made that case, thinking Ever is a hard one, but um, Dennis Irwin both got in for us. But as I said, I probably think Patrice Evra is a little hard done by there. But as you say, the Irish, you pulled on the Irish heartstrings there, and Dennis made the team. Yeah, yeah. look, George, for me, it was a choice between frog legs or potato three ways. Um, it was a fairly easy decision when I looked at the menu, to be honest. Yeah, that's the sort of selection process we go through here on the podcast. <laughs> now, Mad Journeyman on Twitter said 99 gigs over 08 gigs, which we both agreed with. And Mad R Aussie Guy on Twitter, an interesting shout here, but probably the correct one is 08 Wes Brown over 99 Wes Brown. Now, both sort of played right backs, which we alluded to. But um, yeah, it's hard. It's, it's one of those ones which you forget a little bit that Wes Brown was included in both sides. Yeah, yeah. Look, That's a weird one. wonderful. Yeah, Skulls, gigs, Wes Brown, Gary Neville. Um, I think that would have been it, I think. Yeah. Now, I'm just looking through here out of how many made the side we had from the 99 team. Peter is one, Neville is two, Stam three, Irwin four, Keane five, Skulls six, Giggs seven, Andy Cole eight. So eight players from the 99 team made the side. So only 
Rooney, Ronaldo and Rio were the players selected from the 08, which is maybe throws a bit of pie in our face that we said the 08 team would win at the start of the podcast and we've suddenly picked all the 99 players. Well, yeah, but let's put this in a context, right? We've put uh, Skulls and Giggs, who are both part of 08, yeah. but we've just said the players that they were in yesteryear was a, a better version of themselves, which isn't a criticism of either player. It's just the straight truth, right? So I think from that argument, I still stick with what we said, and the 08 side would win. Yeah, no, it's hard to, uh, I completely agree with you. It's just weird how the mind and football works. But I think we'll leave it about there, and hopefully everyone enjoyed that podcast. It was fun to do to sort of remember the good times because we don't know if there's going to be any good times because every game seems to be postponed or played behind closed doors. So rest assured that the podcast isn't going anywhere. Even if we have to do it behind closed doors, we will find an internet connection and have a chat about United. Um, is there anything else you want to touch on this week before Jose no. Mourinho and Solskjaer butt heads again? No, mate, I'm good. Um, hopefully we can get together after the game and bump elbows. Yeah, bump el- Um I'll only meet up you- with you if you um, have a face mask and maybe if you could bring maybe two or three toilet rolls just as a act of gratitude. Um, look, mate, I have a- look, I- I'm bringing the hose. So if you <laughs> need to go to the bathroom midway, um, I'll bring... I'll bring a strong, um, you know, you know the water soakers that they they used to sell when you were a kid, yeah. the ones where you pump the gun and it's high pressure shooting. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll organise one of those for you. Um, so if you get desperate, we'll just give you a bum a little splash. Okay, thank you. Um, no um, listeners are welcome to join us for that episode for obvious reasons, but um, hopefully you have all enjoyed this podcast and we will chat to you after Man United and Solskjaer send a Mourinho pack in. Do you, actually, on that, do you think Solskjaer can sack Mourinho? Is that possible? Um, look, I don't think um, Daniel Levy's exactly going to call Solskjaer and say, look, do you want to take my job? But yeah. I don't think Mourinho is completely safe. Um, he is missing his two best forwards. I will give him that benefit of the doubt. But, but again, you just see the comments he's making after games. And I'm just like, you're giving your team you're giving your team out. I don't think that you're filling your team with confidence. But look, I, I'm, I'm taking that all day long. Um, it's only good news for us leading up to the game. So, look, may Jose continue doing Jose things. And I think we'll leave it there. And, yeah, hopefully we'll discuss on Monday a 11th game unbeaten for Solskjaer and a sacking for Mourinho. Not that we want someone to lose their job, but it would be quite funny. So thank you for listening and chat to you then. Cheers. Cheers.